Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. One, one pitch. Fastball pulled and Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now, here's Adam, Scott, Heath, and Chris. Well, we are about to wrap up hitters. Our last position preview before we get to relief pitcher and starting pitcher. It's outfield preview part two. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast on Wednesday, February 27th. It's a big day because Chris Towers is back. What's up, Chris? What's up, guys? It's great. It's a great day. I've been watching baseball on my TV. I don't know if you guys realize, but baseball's back. Hey, and you're back. Even if it's fake baseball. Way to take a vacation during draft prep time. Way to take a month off <laughs> during draft prep time. Yeah. I'm sorry I got five days off for the first time since July. I guess I walked in. My bad, one. Adam. That is my bad, actually. I don't, I mean, I don't approve he... of vacation shaming as a general rule. We, you deserve, you deserve it, Chris. You do. I'm Thank glad. you. Thank I was, you. I wasn't being. Sarcastic. I don't even think it was entirely a vacation, right? There was some work functions. Yeah, there was like two and a half days of work, and then yeah, five days of vacation. All right, let's talk about outfielders. Uh, we got through the first twelve or thirteen of them. We got through the first three rounds of average draft position, first thirty-six picks of average draft position with outfielders. Um, that got us up to. The Chris Bryant, Whit Merrifield, Andrew Benintendi, Juan Soto range. And when we pick it up, we'll talk about Reese Hoskins, Chris Davis, who might be outfield eligible in your leagues. He's not on CBS. Starling Marte, Cody Bellinger, George Springer, and more. But after we did the position preview, we did a draft yesterday. It was a three outfielder, 12 team head to head points league draft. And I want to talk about how we drafted outfielders. I had the first pick. Chris had the second pick. Heath had the fourth pick, and Scott had the tenth pick. And uh, we'll just go in order. But let me uh, – Heath hasn't really spoken, so let me just – Hi, Heath. How you doing? Why didn't you invite Chris to the podcast yesterday? <laughs> As I, really rude. I thought he was still on vacation. That's – that's. I, I Heath, don't – I heard you throw me under the bus yesterday. <laughs> don't act like you're, you're, uh, you're not guilty here. I did invite you. So yeah, he, that's he true. He invited me while I was on a plane. Okay, so I thought you were you were away. So um, anyway, let's we'll go in order, and I just want to talk about how we did. It was a three outfielder league, and not something I planned on doing, but just outfielders with my first two picks: Mike Trout, one overall; Charlie Blackman, two overall. Uh, I just thought the the value was too good to pass up. We're going to talk more about this draft on tomorrow's show, but ton of plate appearances between Blackman and Trout. That matters a lot in points leagues. And then I didn't get my third outfielder until round 11. It was a great value for me, I thought, anyway. 121st overall, A.J. Pollock. And then for a bench player, I took Adam Eaton, who previously had been a consistent top 20 outfielder in points leagues uh, in round 19. So that was me. I didn't plan on going with outfielders with my first two picks. But, hey, look, we're going to talk, talk about strategies, strategies at each position. One thing to keep in mind... Drafting the best player, regardless of position, sometimes is a really smart idea. So uh, Mike Trout in round one, Charlie Blackman 24th, A.J. Pollock 121st overall, Adam Eaton 19th overall, and it worked for me. I think I really liked the way my team turned out. Chris, you had the second pick. too early for Eaton. Too early for Eaton. 19th round. <laughs> round <Eaton>. 19. 21-round yeah. <laughs> uh, draft, by the way. Uh, Chris, go yeah. ahead with, with your strategy. You did something similar to me with the second pick. Yeah, it was similar. So I had Mookie Betts at number two, kind of the obvious choice there. Um, 
And then I went Aaron Judge in the second round, second to last pick of that round. And I just, the upside for him is so high, especially in a points league because he walks so much, because he's going to get so many runs in RBI. The volume should be really high in that lineup. I just think it's kind of a no-brainer, even with the strikeouts. It hasn't really held him back from being a very good uh, head-to-head points guy so far. Okay, so yeah, bets round one, Aaron Judge 23rd overall, and then? I didn't wait quite as long as you did for my third. I got Justin Upton in the eighth round, and I, I just feel like that's too good value when you look at guys going in that range. He's not the most exciting guy. We've talked about it uh, a lot, how he's kind of the guy that you let fall to you, but he's probably going to outperform whatever it is, the 95th overall pick. Yeah, 95th overall, 8th round, end of the 8th round in a 12-team league. Did you take any backup outfielders or utility at outfield? Uh, I'm going to have a lineup hole to fill in this league if we were playing it out at the start of the season. I did not take a backup outfielder. Um, I don't really, I mean, Chris Davis with a K could get outfield eligibility, and that would give me a little flexibility there, but... I, I kind of outfielder twelve team league. If you're going to leave a hole in your lineup, that's the one to do it in. I mean, the top projected yeah. outfielder is Ender Enciarte. He wasn't drafted, and he's fine. I mean, he's he's a fine starter. Yeah. Doesn't strike out much. He was particularly 20th, if he's batting leadoff. He was twentieth in this format last year. Justin Upton, by the way, was thirtieth. <laughs> so yeah, you're right, Scott. It's uh, you can definitely in a three outfielder league, you can definitely find depth on the waiver wire. Um, Chris, you done? Going, yeah. Going back on vacation? All right. Heath, uh, how about you? What did you do at outfield? I took a uh, t- consensus top five outfielder, Andrew Benintendi, in the third round. Uh, very happy with that strong start. And then one of my favorite outfield values, Mitch Haniger. I got him in the eighth, two picks before. Chris took Justin Upton. And that, like, there's some similarities between those two in terms of value. I'll take the younger guy that's not currently hurt. And then I finished off my outfield in the very next round with a guy that I've just taken a ton of. We talked about him a lot yesterday, Eloy Jimenez. Okay. Just three outfielders for you? I did take a fourth outfielder. I'm trying to see where I took him. Uh, Malik Smith seemed to fall away in this draft. And this probably isn't his best format, although if he leads off probably should be a pretty good 15th one, 15th round and i was reading a lot today he is pretty much expected to lead off so that's malik smith you're talking about yes yeah, yeah. Well, i more think on him there's later, a good but. chance malik smith is my starting utility at the start of the year eric i did take um lindor fell to me in the second round and i took another shortstop as my utility so i'll probably start all four of them you'll probably need a, a starting outfielder for a couple weeks too at at season's end last year, and, and granted Malik Smith had a big second half, but at season's end he was starting in two of my head to head points leagues and you know, I was I was a playoff team, so it's not like it was hurting me. So yeah, I think he's a fine starter here too. Uh, stolen bases kinda get in our in our scoring format, them being worth two points apiece, uh there there's no need to reach for them like in Roto, because there's not that scarcity, that that category that has to be filled, but there's Players who steal a lot of bases are still valuable. Yeah, Billy Hamilton was like a top 35, top 40 outfielder in this format when he was good, right? Yes, yes. Uh, on At least on a per-game basis, um, he was better than that for sure. And Malik Smith, 
First three months, he was pretty bad. He had a 679 OPS. Then he, July and August, he got extremely hot. 383 batting average, 12 steals, uh, OPS uh, like around 10, oh, 1044. There you go. Did have a 441 BABIP. Then he came back after a viral infection and he hit very poorly to end the season in September. 642 OPS in, uh, in September. It was an abbreviated September, but you, you'd like to think the DL stint had something to do with that. So Smith is going to be a pretty interesting player, particularly in Roto. And what we've seen so far is Chris and I took outfielders in rounds one and two. I mean, your pick is basically set for you when you have picks number one or two, which Chris and I had. And then Heath in round three. So we didn't wait long to get our first outfielder. Chris and I didn't wait long to get our second outfielder. And then the middle rounds, eight through ten. Now, technically, I got A.J. Pollock in round 11, but he was the first pick of round 11, so he could have been a round 10 pick, last pick of round 10. We got Upton, Hanager, Eloy Jimenez, A.J. Pollock. We have those guys on our team, so this is an area that we targeted. Scott, how about you? Um, what did you do at outfield in this draft? Well, remember how I said in part one of the outfield preview that outfield was a position I would take early if it made sense, but it wasn't one I was prioritizing in any way. Well, definitely made sense in this draft because with the third pick of round four, 39th overall, Giancarlo Stanton was still there. And crazy. I was still, I was still tempted not to take him because I wanted two aces and Granky was the last at least what I consider ace left. I knew on the way back I wouldn't I, there wouldn't be any more, but it was just it was just stupid value. I had to do it. So Stan's my top outfielder. And then I waited, but um you know, I, I think I got a well certainly a trendy upside pick in Michael Conforto, who had a big second half and uh his per game production in the second half were you know it wasn't it wasn't like outlandish numbers. I think he had two seventy something. Uh but his his per game numbers would have placed him, um, I think, among the top twenty outfielders. So Michael Conforto is my number two. Brandon Nimmo, who I don't think gets enough credit, especially since he's probably the leadoff man for the Mets. He's my number three. I got Stephen Piscotty in utility, and uh, even Nick Mark. I, I drafted Nick Markakis with my very last pick, third to last pick at the draft. It's not exciting, but I mean, he was the twelfth best outfielder in this format last year. It doesn't. It feels worse than that because it was, you know, he, he kind of uh, slowed to the finish line. But really good plate discipline. Uh, what he lacks in homers, he, he, he hits a lot of doubles. And he's if, if Acuna is not batting cleanup, Marquecas is, which means he'll have Acuna, Donaldson, and Freeman to drive in. A lot of times we talk about players who were better in one format. It's usually not this drastic, but Nick Marquecas was 12th in points, 30th in Roto. So Ooh. certainly format matters for him. Brandon Nimmo had a 404 on base percentage. That is unbelievable. He walks a ton. Uh, so Scott definitely took a different approach. He did not prioritize outfield as much. Quite frankly, got a little bit lucky getting Giancarlo Stanton around four. Shouldn't plan on that, but it worked out for you rather nicely. Pitchers went kind of early in this draft. Um, all right, let's get, uh, let's get back into it. I think something that's, uh, neat about outfield is that there are guys beginning with Lorenzo Kane. I'm just going to pull up, uh, average draft position on fantasy pros. Lorenzo Kane is going 68th overall. So that is round six in a 12 team league. Beginning with Lorenzo Kane, D. Gordon, Will Myers, AJ Pollock, Malik Smith, Victor Robles, Ender Inciarte. Those guys are all going off the board in rounds six through 12 and they all can help in steals. Some of them will help like, oh, you need 20 steals, 25 steals. Some of them will help like, hey, you want Malik Smith? You might get 50 steals. 
Victor Robles is a wild card. Um, but I do think that if you miss out on guys you really wanted, you don't have to uh, fall that far or take terrible players to get a 20 to 30 steal guy. You guys sort of feel that way? And then, of course, you have Billy Hamilton and Byron Buxton and Greg Allen later. But these guys, they can hit. There's other guys that you didn't even mention who I think will help install. You didn't mention Tommy Pham, right? I I did not mention Tommy Pham. Did you mention David Dahl? No, uh, he hasn't really shown that he steals in the majors, does he? Has he? He didn't last year. I thought he, I thought he had a, an okay, but like, okay, Yasiel Puig, who could steal yeah. 20 bases. Yeah. Um, Aaron Hicks, I don't know if you mentioned. Yeah, he didn't, it, he ran like 11, he stole, I think, 11 last year, but you're right, he had 20 the year before, he was on pace for 20. There's, there's the potential for some stolen base help in this range with guys who won't kill you in other places is, I, I definitely agree with your point. Even Joey Gallo might steal 10 bases. Right. So it's not a what's, bad range, What's though. the number where your expect your steals expectation for a player where you get where you say this guy is steals help versus this guy is not? And 15. 15? That's me. Because obviously your expectation isn't necessarily going to be reality. And if 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 a guy has never shown 20 steel potential before um it it seems like a short path to becoming like a five steel guy you know like it's shorter I, than I, 20 i feel like if he isn't established uh enough in that category it's easy for him to just stop doing it entirely and i don't like i don't is there somebody I, I don't you have really count on anybody being a 10-steel guy or a 12-steel guy. I pretty much just want 20 and not personally. He's saying 15. Is there fine, someone you but... have in mind that's going to be a complete bust that steals that people might draft for 20? Besides Francisco Lindor? <laughs> yeah, Lindor is a good one. Um, and I, I've talked about Acuna possibly being a big disappointment. There we all have. Uh, there's not... I don't have anyone specific in mind. Okay. No, that, that was more just general... A general rule when I'm targeting steals in a draft. Uh, if, I if, say, a guy, if I can't if I can't trust a guy to give me twenty, I can't trust him to give me any. Is kind of the way I approach it. I would say Ender Inciarte. Yeah. Um, if he's not batting leadoff, there's not much evidence that the Braves want him to run very much. Um, and most signs point to Ronald Acuna batting leadoff right now. I think At least to start out, maybe I would say I would yeah, say Ian Desmond. Yeah, didn't even mention him. And I, I would say maybe Will Myers. So I think the steals were yeah. down a little bit last year, and he just he could lose playing time. So uh, keep that in mind. All right, let's get into ADP, guys. Let's talk about rounds four and beyond. And I think it's pretty obvious that, well, for me anyway, I definitely want to have at least one outfielder by round four. I, I think Heath would agree. I feel like yes. Chris would probably agree. Scott would okay. not would not be, not that he wouldn't, want one, but it wouldn't be as big of a priority for him. Not a priority for me now. Okay. So, just to run through rounds one through three, I'll read the names. Trout, Betts, J.D. Martinez, Yelich, Acuna, Judge, Harper, Stanton, Blackman, Benintendi, Soto, Chris Bryant, Whit Merrifield. And here we go. Starting with pick 40 overall. We got three outfielders coming off the board in the next few picks. One of them not outfield eligible in our leagues, but we can talk about him anyway. The most consistent player in baseball, Chris Davis. It's Reese Hoskins, Chris Davis, and Starling Marte. And then right after that, Cody Bellinger, who's also first base eligible. Hoskins will be first base eligible after a week. 
Hoskins, Chris Davis, Starling Marte, and Cody Bellinger. Heath, why don't you give me your thoughts on those four guys and if they make sense in the beginning to the middle of round four. They do. I, Bellinger's the one that worries me. They've acted like they're going to do less platooning this year. I hope they do less platooning this year. But he is the the one that you could see just all of a sudden playing 145 games or 147, and, and all of a sudden it becomes more difficult. Plus he's got the strike cut issues, which that makes it a little bit more dis- difficult. So he's your least favorite in this group? Uh, so that was Bellinger of Hoskins, Davis, Marte, and Bellinger? Yep, I agree with that. Okay. Yeah, especially in a league where Davis is outfield eligible. I I get the arguments being made. I also think he has the most upside of this group. Um, and I, I don't want that to go unremarked upon because this is actually another guy who can help you with steals. He was he was a first base prospect who plays center field and stole fifteen or fourteen bases last year. That's uh that's surprising. But you throw in the potential for 40 home runs, which he almost did as a rookie and would have done easily. Um, I think if he makes a few adjustments in his game, and we already saw him cut the strikeouts down, I think there's monster potential here. I, like, I think of anyone in this range at outfield, he has the best chance to be a first-round pick next year. Maybe the only chance. And I think you gave an interesting stat about Cody Bellinger on a previous show. Maybe it was our first base preview. Because I mentioned that maybe the, the statistics that will determine Bellinger's season will be how he does against lefties. He had a 903 against OPS against lefties in 2017, and he was amazing. He had a 681 OPS against lefties last year, and he sat sometimes. Uh, now, he played 162 games, but he pinch hit in 15 of those games. But Bellinger, you know, I guess has the chance to sit against lefties but I think, Chris, you said, if I remember correctly, that the batted ball data against lefties looked really good and would lead you, lead us to believe that he won't be that bad against southpaws this year. Well, yeah, he actually, his his hard hit percentage against lefties was actually higher than it was against righties, so that comparison looks good. He hit a lot of infield fly balls, and that's obviously a concern, but he didn't really strike out at an alarming rate against lefties. He still hit line drives. He still hit the ball in the air. There are definitely reasons to be concerned, but he's shown the ability to at least be competent against lefties. And I think at this point, the Dodgers, we should acknowledge every time we bring up a Dodgers player, we're like, well, they could sit or they could be in a platoon. They don't have nearly as much uh, flexibility as they did last year in that regard because they traded, you know, two starting outfielders. True. They both are They brought in Pollock. And sure. They, they have Alex Verdugo, who you have to figure they're going to mix in at some point. Right. And they but, still have lefty mashers like David Freeze and, and Rick Kemp, Hernandez. Kemp and P- Puig were basically playing every day. All right. So uh, let, let me let me talk about some other guys here. And Starling Marte, who I mentioned a lot yesterday. You know, he's maybe okay. I don't want to overrate him because he's not the batting average stud that he used to be. I think he's batted like 277 two straight seasons. Uh, his stolen base percentage, I don't think it was great last year. He was thrown out 14 times. But fact is, Starling Marte in Roto has been a top 12 outfielder in 2013, 15, 16, and 18. And he only played 77 games in 2017. Um, I don't think he usually lasts this long. I don't think he lasts more than 40 picks in our Roto drafts. Thoughts? Heath? Yeah, he's my favorite of this group. I've got him 13th at outfield. 
And uh, I think in a road, I mean, he is another one of those guys where there is a big difference between his roto value and his points value. But in a roto league, I think he should be late third or early fourth round. Okay. And and then, Scott, I'll ask you just a question about Chris Davis, Kairos Davis. But I do want to mention that Starling Marte and Lorenzo Cain, we we focus a lot on batting average. We focus on home runs. We focus on uh, steals. Don't lose sight of RBIs. Those two guys, I like Marte there. We all, I think we like Marte there, but they might kill you in RBIs. They have been very bad in RBIs, Starling Marte and Lorenzo Cain. Quick question, though, on Marte. He's going 41st. Lorenzo Cain is going 68th. Is there a big difference, or if you want one of those guys, should you just wait two rounds? I'd much rather have Cain at that cost. Everybody I love Cain, but it could be a 15-steal difference. Okay. Yeah. I, and I, mean, I, I would just... Good. Sorry, well, he stole 30 last year. It was a career high for Kane. Yeah, I, I would just say I don't care that Sterling Marte was caught 14 times last year. Uh, we didn't see like a slip in his defense. His average sprint see- speed was nearly identical to the previous year. There's basically cool. no year-to-year correlation between uh, stolen base percentage. So I, that's that to me is just a fluke. All right. No, I I think the only concern I ever have with getting caught 14 times in a season is what effect it has on the manager. Well, uh, they didn't slow him down last year. Considering, Scott? yeah, I mean, I I just think it's such an important part of Starling Marte's skill set um, that I have a hard time seeing the Pirates back off from him. But you know, it's a it's a worthy point. Another thing to bring up with the Kane Marte comparison is who's the better power source? Because Kane hit only ten home runs last year, and and what we thought was going to be a better environment for him, his career high is sixteen. Marte hit 20 last year. He doesn't normally hit 20, but it would seem like he has the higher ceiling in home runs and the higher ceiling in stolen bases. So I don't know that the difference in cost is unjustified. Okay. I, I saw I saw something really interesting yesterday talking about Yelich and Kane. Was it you, Chris, that had tweeted out the difference between Christian Yelich's home run to fly ball rate no, and Lorenzo No, it was Kane? me on the podcast. I said it. I said that where they were in ground ball to fly ball. Come on, man. Okay, it wasn't it wasn't that interesting though. <laughs> <laughs> there was a whole Christian Yelich debate on Twitter today. Uh, no, 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 no. We're getting we're getting off off the record off the trail here. Scott, um, is Chris Davis okay in this range in the forties if he's not outfield eligible? Yes, I I still rank him in this range. He is the safest power hitter in baseball, and um. You know, that's that's something you need a lot of in an environment where there's a lot available. All right. Next group of outfielders, according to Fantasy Pros ADP, is one outfielder, and he is George Springer, and he is going 53rd overall. So we've got four outfielders going between 40th and 44th. We have a little bit of a gap, and we have George Springer 53rd, and then we'll get to some guys who are going in the 60s and 70s. Uh, Springer was a top 11 outfielder two straight seasons. In one of those seasons, he played only 140 games. And in fact, it looked like Springer was really busting out before he tore a ligament in his thumb in 2017, and then he slumped to the finish line. Then he was great in the World Series. But he was ba- he was just very disappointing last year. Um, okay, Springer at 53rd overall. Scott, your take. Everybody, give me a good, great, bad, okay on the value of Springer. Scott, Chris, Heath, go. I think it's I think it's okay. I you know it's definitely lower than in the past, but I think he deserves to be downgraded in that way because we've only really seen one season where he lived up to his potential 
and it wasn't last season and he's older than you think he is so I'm, I'm kind of not holding out hope for the ceiling much more anymore chris it's it's fine i think it reflects that nobody really knows what to do with him um i don't think he has the upside we thought he did heath i think it's good actually and i would prefer him to anyone in the first group except for starling Marte. I think Springer is better in points leagues than he is in Roto. I just want to give this stat on his plate appearances. He led baseball in plate appearances in 2016. He played 162 games. He was on pace to lead baseball in plate appearances in 2017 if he had played a full season. Um, and then he was on pace to finish third in 2018 in plate, appearance if, plate appearances if he had played 162 games. Um, so Springer, good lineup, a lot of plate appearances, assuming he leads off. That gives him a little safety in points leagues. All right, he's going 53rd. And let's go a little farther down here. Um, Marcel, uh, this guy I don't think we're going to like here. Marcelo huh. Zuna is going mm. 68th. Uh, what was that noise? Strong disagree. Oh, well, you, you do like him I, lo- I, I think Marcelo Zuna is a great value here. Um, if he's healthy, he's not. Yeah, I mean, he he played designated hitter in a spring training game already. Uh, he has no limitations as far as batting or sliding goes. Uh, he's making progress in his throwing program, but if if we're worried that he's not going to be able to make all the throws from right field, I'm not too concerned about Marcelo Zuna. Uh, the fact that they're letting him play, run the bases, shows me that it's not a big concern, and he was awesome for the last two months of the season last year. And that was while playing through this shoulder. Uh, some, Heath, please say the thing that Chris likes to say. Full season <laughs> is generally more predictive. Yes. No, that that all that really concerns me about Mark. Well, first off, he was on my bust list last year, and I was a little bit concerned about him living up to the one outstanding year that he's had in his career. But really, it just comes down to there was a lot of mystery around his rehab. There was a very recent quote from the Cardinals saying he needs to pick things up a little bit in terms of his throwing program. And they don't have a designated hitter in the National League. That was a weird quote because if you read – because that was the headline quote. But when you read the article, it mostly sounds like he's right on – like they, they expect him to start playing the field in mid-March and he's on pace for that. No, There's no pessimism about him not making it to opening day. It Because it, I, I saw that same article and when I first saw it, I was like, oh, no. I'm going to look like the idiot. Wait, a misleading headline? But then when I actually read it, it was fine. It it doesn't really sound like a concern. Okay, so here are the the three outfielders going in this range. Marcelo Zuna, Lorenzo Cain, and Tommy Pham. Ozuna was like a top five hitter, or certainly outfielder, two years ago. A top 12 hitter. And then he was very up and down last year. Uh, Tommy Pham, when he got traded to Tampa Bay, just was outstanding. We know he has power, speed, combo. And then Lorenzo Cain um, had, a, you know, had a nice year for the Brewers. Gets hurt a lot, but solid player. Let me just see where Lorenzo Cain finished. <clears throat> he was 20th in points. He was 19th in Roto. He played 141 games and a career-high 11.5% walk rate and a 395 OBP for Cain. So how would you guys rank them? Tommy Pham, Lorenzo Cain, Marcelo Zuna. Scott White. I would rank them... Lorenzo Kane, Tommy Pham, and I, I actually have a Mar- Marcelo Zuna, a distant third. I am, I'm, I'm not convinced that the last the Azuna from the last six weeks last year is his 
truest self. I, I wasn't con- like like Keith. I had him on my bus list going into last season. I know there were some health issues, but there still are. Whatever. He's he's lowest for me. Uh, I I'm kind of like Tommy Pham. I think still has the most upside here. I think you mentioned the power speed combo. I think he has batting average potential too. I think he has the potential to be a five category stud. And oh yeah, he walks a lot too. So a points league stud as well. But you know, obviously there's consistency issues. There's health issues. I got burned by him last year. So I'm a little reluctant to buy into him as hard this year. Um, but he, he has the most upside of the three, I think. That's Tommy Pham. Uh, Heath, how would you rank Pham, Kane, Ozuna? I would go the same, same exact order as Scott. I do have Kane a little more separated from Pham, I think, and just because I'm more confident in what Kane's going to give me. Uh, we didn't even talk about his batting average, but he's going to give you a big boost in batting average, a big boost in steals. He's going to score a ton of runs. Um, I, I don't think Ozuna's bad. It's just, like, if you look at his career, there's one thing that sticks out, and it's 2017. So is anybody really eager to get Ozuna, Kane, or Pham in the pick 70 range or so? And these are outfielders 19, 20, and 21 off the board. I have yet to to draft any of them in a league this year. I'm thrilled to get any of the three. (laughs) Yeah, but this is such a pitcher area for me, I feel. like I also feel like I'm not looking at outfield in this range. My problem is a lot of times I have two outfielders at this point. Also true, yes. And you don't want your third that early necessarily. But, five outfielders but I, maybe. I draft Kane and Roto a lot. Yeah, and I'm starting to open my mind a little bit more to that because I, like, I'm very good at points leagues. I'm not as good at Roto. And I think that I've been neglecting that range of outfielder a little bit because they do give you some steals, like Scott talks about all the time, guys who can give you steals without killing you in other categories. We just talked about a big group of them. So maybe this is a, a, a good area to look at. Something I'm thinking about changing a little bit, looking for a third. Oh, this could be a second outfielder, but somebody I in this range. Know you, I didn't know you were very good at points leagues. I am. I've been I've been very good at points leagues. Uh, I think he's good. My better format. Adam, I thought Adam's he was better at this fantasy baseball thing than he gets credit for a lot of times. Go, go, go ahead, Heath. What were you going to say? No, I, I remember you, you finishing very well in the Roto League a couple of years. Um, battling it out with you in our, our Roto League a couple of times. I just didn't remember that same thing in point. That, that wasn't a slam against you. I thought you were better in Roto. Well, you know, he I always was, do well in the it was def- League. It was definitely a slam. No, it, it was. He's won the Podcast Listeners League before. And I was in the semifinals last year. Yeah, Roto, I, well, I sucked at Roto last year, so I'm trying to make some adjustments. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, all right, so moving on to a group of hitters... Yeah, this this one, this one I'm probably hands off here, but I know I'm gonna I'm, I know I'm, that's not gonna be consensus. Haniger, Castellanos, Rosario, and Upton. Haniger, Castellanos, Rosario, and Upton. We already established on yesterday's show that while we do like Nick Castellanos, we feel like he's more of a pick one ten or later kind of guy, not eighty second overall. So he's going too early. Um, Heath and Scott don't agree on Haniger. Get Chris's take. Rosario. Chris should break the Haniger tie. Go ahead, Chris. I think he's fine. <laughs> I knew you Come were on, say. Chris. Look, I, I, yeah, I, I think he's perfectly fine. He's, he's a he's a nice player. I that's a guy that this this range. Um, I pretty much never draft. That's exactly. I don't think I. Thank you. Yes. I don't think I've had Haniger, Castellanos, or Rosario on my team at all so far and 
Maybe that's to my detriment. Maybe I just nah. maybe because I don't have like a great concrete reason. I do for why I don't like any of those three. It's just like I know why. They're all kind of in bad lineups. They're all kind of in not great parks. Uh, I know why. The reason is because when you talk about Fam, Kane, Ozuna, and then you drop down to Hanager, Castellanos, Rosario, Upton, in my opinion, you are losing a lot of upside. What? I just what, can't the- see these guys having, having like, you know, fantasy changing seasons, which is a little dumb because Upton pretty much did that in 2017, but I think that's a major outlier. I think you're losing a lot of upside here, and you're losing steals here too. Like, I think Hanniger, Castellanos, Rosario could have a Marcelo Zuna 2017 season. I just would rather pick the guy who's already done that, Um, especially because he just stands out in terms of exit velocity and and those kind of stats a lot more than anybody here, except for Castellanos, but there's a lot of weird stuff going on with uh, Comerica Park. yeah, I'm just not super enthused by like guys who really have to hit a ton to be fantasy values. I I feel who like haven't necessarily done it yet. I I don't feel like you're wrong, Adam. That the first group, the fam group, has more upside. Like fam's best is going to be better than Castiano's best. But I I think if we're looking at it from a most likely scenario standpoint, this group is pretty similar. I had a lot of trouble inter-ranking these both of these groups when I was putting together uh, my outfield rankings initially. This was the toughest stretch for me to rank at any of my positions because Upton is so consistent and he's had great years before. Last year wasn't his best, but he's just so reliable. 30 home runs over and over again. Fam is not reliable. Um, Marcelo Zuna, clearly not reliable. Even like Eddie Rosario, um, you know, Okay, he doesn't walk a lot. He had kind of a front-loaded season, but he's basically been good two years in a row now. And he was better on a per-game basis than George Springer last year, who's not even part of this group. We have him way up higher. So it like it's it's still there's a lot of a lot of quality here, and there's a lot of um a lot of different variables to consider in terms of consistency, in terms of upside, in terms of downside, in terms of what they're contributing exactly statistically that it, a lot of it depends on need. And I, I actually find myself drafting more from the second group, the Castellano-Rosario group, because it, it's not clear to me that it is such a big drop-off. Yeah, I, I draft Hanniger in a lot of our drafts and actually have him ranked ahead of Fam Anderson. Did you talk? I know Scott said why he thinks Hanniger might be a bust. He's a little worried about the lineup. Did you talk about why you like Hanniger so much? I'm not worried about the lineup when you hit second in it. I think there's plenty of talent at the top of this lineup. There may be some problems in the second half. In fact, the second half of the lineup might be awful. But I don't think he's going to have a problem repeating what he did last year based on the lineup. He hits 25 home runs, scores 90 runs, drives in 90, and hits 285. And that's really very similar to what he was doing in 2017, if not a little bit worse. And I, Yeah, basically. Uh <laughs> Last week when Manny Machado signed, I published a piece by uh, Alex Chamberlain on CBS Fantasy, one of our freelancers. Um, And he basically he did some research that was really interesting, which was basically that something like 90 percent of run and RBI production can be explained by a hitter's actual production as opposed to the like basically lineup matters around the fringes. You know, you can get five, 10 percent one way or the other. 
but most of that is going to come from what the hitter does himself. 70%? Like 90%. I don't 90%. I don't really agree with that. It's that well it's that in hitter. lineup like spot in the lineup, but the quality yeah. of the lineup like Oh, spot in the yeah, lineup. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. No, okay, I mean that that makes, that, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes I sense. No, but like oh, yeah. the people around them like having someone who gets on base in front of you a ton, it helps. Yeah. But for no. the most part, it only helps on the margin. Yeah, I, I thought you were including batting order, like where you hit the order. That didn't make no. sense. That makes sense. Right. Okay. I, I mean, but we're talking about the difference between 90 of something and 80 of something. Uh, you know, it could move it could move a guy down a crowded right, spot in the rankings pretty far. But that's I, moving from the best to the worst, basically. I, I want to reiterate that I'm like I was struggling to find a bus pick here, and I'm not really that down on Hanniger. I just I think outfielders by and large are a value are valued appropriately and Hanniger even assessing him on last year's numbers the, the biggest areas where he stood out were runs in RBI and, and if you're talking about the the five roto categories batting average not really home runs not really you know you got David Dahl and Yasiel Puig available just a little later I think they both have higher ceilings than Hanniger so I'm, I'm that he, part of it is just Hanniger's kind of boring I also do worry that he's held back a little bit by his ballpark. Hanniger had a 7.99 OPS at home last year, 8.08 OPS at home the year before. So he's probably a better he's a better hitter than that. Maybe being held back a bit by Safeco or whatever. It was 7.99, 8.08. Yeah, it was basically the same. Oh yeah, but he's better on the road. I mean, no, no, no I'm sorry. It, those were his home. That was his home OPS, 2018 and 17. I'm sorry. I thought that was his home and road last year. No, I was no, like, no. what? No road. He was 9.14 last year. And 876 in 2017. Uh, all right, we got more to talk about, including the group Scott just mentioned. Yasiel Puig, David Dahl, Michael Conforto is in there. We'll get right, th- right back to that after this break. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. Okay, so we get to, uh, we're in the 90s, and we're at outfielder number 26, and it's Yasiel Puig, followed by D. Gordon, David Dahl, Michael Conforto, Joey Gallo. Will Myers, A.J. Pollock, Michael Brantley, uh, Malik Smith. Sorry, I think we're going to have to break this group up. But a ton of outfielders coming off the board here. So Puig, Gordon, Dahl, Conforto, and Gallo. Let's do those five. Gordon is is separate case. Um, he's probably going to play second base for you and steal specialist. But Puig, Dahl, Conforto, Gallo. Who do you guys really want? Heath, get the first word in this group. I'm more likely to draft Joey Gallo than any of these guys because I don't think we've seen the absolute best from him. And without seeing the absolute best, you're still getting a 40 homer guy that's probably going to drive in close to 100 runs this year. 
the thing the thing he kind of struggled with last year in terms of his run production was he was bouncing down to fifth, sixth, seventh whenever his BABIP luck would really get bad and the average would dip below 200. I don't think they have the horses to do that this year. I expect he's going to hit fourth or fifth most of the year. And with his power, that's likely going to mean close to 100 RBI. And I really think there's a legit chance that he hits something more like 225, 235 than what he's been the last couple of years. Okay. Is there anyone you don't like? Puig, Dahl, Conforto, Gallo? Well, obviously you like Gallo. <laughs> Anything? No, yeah. no. I've got, I mean, what range of outfielder are we at here? 27, 26 through 30. I've got Dahl 28, Puig 30, and Conforto 31. So I'm pretty much in line with this. Chris, what about this group for you? Really like all of them. Um, yeah, so Puig just needs plate appearances, really. They pulled him in and out of the lineup so often over the last couple of years. He ha- did he have an, he had an injury last year, right? But not the year before. I'm not sure. I can look it up real quick. He played but either way. Yes, he played 125 games last year. Yeah, if you just give him 160, his 162 game pace over the last two years is only 594 plate appearances, so it's probably pretty low from what you'd expect for a full season. But it's 78 runs, 81 RBI, 30 homers, and 18 steals. That's that's awesome. Like I, I would, I would rather have that than Mitch Haniger. Like Haniger might be a little safer, but if Puig gets everyday plate appearances and there's no reason he shouldn't, I think he has thirty twenty potential. I do think it's like I love Yasiel Puig and I think he's got a chance to have one of his best years. And I like the way that he plays baseball, but some of the getting jerked around in the in and out of the lineup wasn't just the Dodgers. Some of it, he does things that baseball men don't like. Sure, but the Dodgers had the had the uh, the luxury. Well, the Reds have more in. outfielders than they can use right now. Yeah, but they just made a big trade for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, He's playing, and like they do have more outfielders than they can use, but they're not all that good. Like he's not getting draw, he's not getting benched for Shebler, Scott Shebler, or or, or, or even Matt Kemp. Kemp. Yeah, like he's going to be in the lineup every day unless he gets hurt or just like, yeah, I would really I would think so too. rubs people the wrong way. But between the venue change, which you didn't even yeah. mention because there was so much else to mention, between the venue change, uh, the fact that he's going to be batting much higher in the lineup, presumably, and that he's with the team that really believes in him, presumably. I I think thirty twenty might be a starting point at what he could potentially deliver if he stays healthy. So this this range of great, outfielders great range. is really where I stock my outfield. Yep. After waiting early, I, I think there is so much upside to be found here between Puig, Dahl, and Conforto, especially. Uh, I found the stat I was trying to mention about Conforto earlier. So in the second half, two seventy three with seventeen home runs. It was three point four head to head points per game. Just using that as a basis of comparison, that would have been better than what Aaron Judge and Charlie Blackman were for the full season. So who, sorry, who that is this was, guy? Conforto. That, this was Michael Conforto's half yeah, season. Yeah, um, yeah I, I, that's the guy. I thought I was. That's the one in this group I'm most excited to draft, except for Chili Davis. That whole thing. See, I don't think he's even my favorite of them. I don't think Puig is either. I David Dahl. Yeah, take I your think pick. could be a poor man's Charlie Blackman. Just his half season stats. If you just want to double those, that's impressive enough. And I think he got some bad. Uh, I, I think he got, you know, the Babbitt at, on its face doesn't look like he had bad luck, but for the venue he was playing in, I think it was bad Babbitt luck. Yeah, I, I guess, so you're talking about David Dahl, I think 
my only issue is that he hit like six home runs in eight games or something like that at the end of the season. Uh, so yeah, six home runs in the last eight games. They were all at home. Uh, but no, I mean, that's, that's a great point, Scott, talking about this range and stockpiling here. I want to know how far it extends because, uh, this is a great time for me where I felt like in the draft that we just mentioned, and I think he, uh, Chris did too, where we wanted to take our third outfielder. He took Justin Upton. Two rounds later, I took AJ Pollock. I think Heath took two guys in this range. Uh, sir, I, was Hanniger, did you take one other guy in this range? Sorry. In that draft. Uh, Eloy. We haven't got oh, to him Eloy. yet. Oh, mm-hmm. Eloy. Yeah, who's, ADP is is just too low. He won't go that low in in our drafts. It's one thirtieth. No. But I, how how far does it extend? When I think I think there are probably more because I put AJ Pollock in that group of guys I'm excited about. I think Heath at least would put Michael Brantley there. Aaron Hicks in a points league. Eloy. So it, for me, it extends Puig at twenty six all the way through Eloy at thirty seven. And there are some within that group that I don't like as much as the others. But even the ones I don't like. At least from a roto perspective, they're category specialists like Joey Gallo, great source of power in the middle rounds. Obviously, Malik Smith with the steals, Brantley with the batting average. Uh, but just in terms of all around upside format independent, I'm excited about them. I would add Victor Robles to the list. Aaron Hicks in points leagues yes. is a stud. My biggest concern about Aaron Hicks when I was putting together my outfield rankings, I didn't, I didn't rank him up to the level he performed at last year. Because I thought, okay, the Yankees, they're trying to work in Clint Frazier. They have Brett Gardner there still. Uh, you know, Hicks has been, is such a late bloomer. I don't know how committed they are to him. Well, then they gave him a seven year, $70 million <laughs> extension. So I think they're all in. Um, yeah, he's, he's just outside my top 20 now in head to head leagues and more like 30th in Roto, but still, I, I think he's a good choice there because there's power and speed. I know why you and have a to ton rank, of run scoring ability. Yeah, I know like why that. you have to rank Hicks twentieth uh, in points. I am so sure. I don't even need to ask you guys. Like, I am so sure that if he's batting leadoff when he's healthy, he's going to be a top ten outfielder in points leagues because he walks as much as he strikes out, and he's already in his past performed like a top ten outfielder in points leagues without leading I, off. Yeah, I don't really know why we would discount him in roto either. I know well, he didn't worse. hit for a good average last season, but that was a really low BABIP, and there's not a lot of reason to believe that it will stay that low. If he goes back to 2017 hitting 270, all of a sudden he's not a liability in batting average at all, and you're looking at a potential, honestly, a five-category guy. I don't see it with the steals for Hicks. I just don't think they're going to run that much, you know? Like, you yeah, I mean, 10 and 88 games in 2017, even if even if it's just like a 15. Yeah, okay, I'll, that's I'll a take plus. That. I think he'll get there. Yeah, he's right, a really good range of outfield and, you know, try to get him. But I'm just looking at, at other players that go in this range um, that are not outfielders. You know, Josh Donaldson, someone I like here. Uh, maybe D. Gordon, I, I, uh, Justin Turner. There are good third basemen that go here. But this is an outfield-dominated range, probably getting your uh, one closer before this. But if not, you're looking at Iglesias, Josh Hader. But yeah, I think when you start to get to pick 90 or so, expect a lot of outfielders to come off the board and, and try to make yourself a part of that group. We're not going to be able to talk in depth about everybody. I apologize. So let's just keep going. I do want to ask about A.J. Pollock, because him being the 32nd outfielder off the board, 107th overall, I really could see this one going either way. Before his injury last year, he was performing like one of the best players in baseball. And then he, what happened? He broke his thumb. 
came back and played pretty poorly after breaking his thumb. In fact, he didn't even run after yeah. breaking his thumb. So how do, I, I, how do we feel about him here? I was looking at that yesterday because he was actually my number, the first outfielder I took in the TGFBI, which tells you how much I waited at outfield. I didn't have many choices, obviously, and I was trying to talk myself into him. Even if you want to use the thumb injury as an excuse for the slide, when he first came back, those first couple weeks, I think he hit like four homers. He looked pretty normal. I'm not sure how close, if the correlation and, and the drop-off is close enough for me to to totally explain it. And so my biggest concern with Pollock is I just don't know what he's good at anymore. Back before he was getting hurt every year, plus in batting average, plus in steals. Well, he hasn't been a plus in batting average really going even before last year. And then the steals dropped off considerably last year too. I think the fact he's with the Dodgers and they've already said they see him as an everyday player and they're just so good at mining data, particularly for hitters. They're, they kind of are to hitters what the Astros are to pitchers. Uh, it, it makes me feel a little better about drafting Pollock, but I, I don't do it with a lot of confidence. I, I have no concerns. Well, you have to have concerns about injury. I don't. He's played I, I just, 40 games once in his career. Sure, but it's been... he. Broke his elbow, I believe, sliding in on the last game of spring training one year. I think it was a groin injury the next year, and then he breaks his thumb last year. If it, I mean, this is something we talk a lot about, and I'm probably on the extreme end, but I just, when it comes to hitters and it comes to things where they're just getting hurt playing baseball, and it's not the same injury over and over, I, I just, I don't see a connection. I don't really believe that like AJ Pollock just has hollow bones and that's why he keeps getting hurt. And so for me, it's just like he has some elevated injury risk from the rest of the field, but not enough for me to downgrade. him. I, I think he's a, a tremendous value here. Cause I, I think the thumb injury explains most of his struggles last year. Uh, Giancarlo Stanton has played 159 and 158 games in his last two right. seasons. That's someone that Chris made the same arguments for a couple of years. I, and I agreed with Chris then. I don't think Stanton's injury history before those two seasons was near as extensive as Pollock's. It was. He that like that was the that was the biggest case against him was that he's he just he four, couldn't four of his last five seasons with 113 games or fewer. Who Pollock? Yes. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, let's move on and talk about Malik Smith. He's the next guy off the board. 107th overall, 33rd uh, outfielder. I'll have to group him in with some other guys, but it's Malik Smith, Michael Brantley, Victor Robles. We've talked a lot about Aaron Hicks and Eloy Jimenez. So I guess we can talk about these three. Malik Smith, Michael Brantley, and Victor Robles. They give you different things. Uh, Heath, what do you think? What do you think about them? 107th, 110th, 114th overall. Malik Smith, Michael Brantley, Victor Robles. I mean, Brantley is another guy who the obvious risk is injury. But if you just forget about the injury risk, I don't know how you don't see him as a top 12 outfielder in a points league. And I expect he's going to be pretty good in Roto as well because you expect a good batting average and a lot of run production in the middle of one of the best lineups in all of baseball. Malik Smith is a guy that before this injury I really loved. I, I, I think he's going to steal 40 bases is kind of like the baseline. If he plays a full season, he looks like somebody that could hit 280, 290, if not 296 like he did last year. He's not going to give you any power at all. But if he's at the very top of the order, and I know it's a bad lineup, but if he's at a very top of an order and has Mitch Haniger behind him, he's probably going to score 100 runs as well. I love Malik Smith. What about Robles? I 
I like Robles. I like what the potential is for Robles. I don't think he's necessarily a bad value here. I don't think he belongs in the conversation with um, some of these guys that have done it like this already. All right, so we are going to probably get to the top 50 outfielders. We're at like 38 right now in Fantasy Pros ADP. And tomorrow, we'll give you a little break from the position previews. We'll read some emails. We'll talk about the draft we did. And we'll finish up outfielders with late-round picks we like and sleepers we like. I'm really interested in Jackie Bradley and the adjustments that he is making. <laughs> uh, no, that's somebody else's sleeper. You'll find out whose it is. <clears throat> so 38 is David Peralta, second highest hard contact rate in baseball last year. And then here's a guy that I have crapped on for like three straight years, and I think I'm ready to pick up the crap and maybe support him at his ADP, Andrew McCutcheon, 133rd overall, and then Ender Inciarte, whose value might depend a lot on where he's hitting in the order, and then Steven Piscotti, and then some guys uh, that then ADP is going to probably differ from the rankings a lot. But this group here, after Aaron Hicks and Eloy Jimenez, um, Jimenez going too late, by the way, at 130, David Peralta, Andrew McCutcheon, Ender Enciarte, Stephen Piscotti. Scott White, break it down. I don't I don't love this group, but it is a group that I end up dipping into a lot just because, you know, filling that third spot uh or fourth spot ideally. And I I, I think it's a bunch of really safe options in terms of you know they're going to be start worthy in, in really any format, even if there's not a huge ceiling. I mean, McCutcheon probably does have the highest ceiling because he still gets on base a lot. He's going to be in a much better park, better lineup than he was last year and, um, you know, should be a standout, at, at least in runs scored without hurting you in the power categories. So he's probably my favorite of the group. I, I might be about to take him as my second outfielder behind Pollock in the TGFBI. But you yeah. don't want this to be your in a third in a three outfielder league. Like, are you typically done with outfield at this point? You're bat, now bat, uh, getting utility or a bench player. Yeah, I mean, Piscotti. Even even when I waited in the one we just did at the start of the show, the one we just went through, Piscotti was my utility spot. Uh, although we did do a head-to-head auction, 12-team head-to-head points auction, where Piscotti was my third outfielder. Obviously, auctions are a little different because you might have gone even stronger at a position in a way a draft wouldn't allow. Mm-hmm. That's probably what happened there. Heath, you were I think Piscotti's a fine starter. That was the point. Sure. Heath, sorry. I love, love, love Andrew McCutcheon here. It's not just a better park than he played in last year. It's a considerably better park than he's ever played in in his career. Philadelphia, we talked about it with Real Muto, the best park for right-handed power hitters. And McCutcheon had a two-year stretch there where his hard contact rate kind of went down a little bit. He was always right around 39 40%, went to 43 last year, which is probably like 40% every other year. I think there's a legitimate chance that he gets back up to the mid to upper 20s in home runs. It's going to be interesting to see where he hits in the lineup because I I'd kind of assumed first for a while They've been talking like Cesar Hernandez may lead off for them again, and he may hit second, which would probably be better for McCutcheon in terms of overall run production because he still has great hitters behind him, and he gets to have Hernandez in front of him. I I expect him to be a top 30 outfielder at the very least. McCutcheon's been a top 24 outfielder in points leagues three straight seasons. Not quite as good in Roto. 
but <clears throat> yeah, he, 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 okay. Best ballpark ever. We're not including Yankee Stadium. He played 11 games in Yankee Stadium and he did have <laughs> a 225 ISO for what it's worth in Yankee Stadium. All right, Chris, I think you like Steven Piscotty. Am I right? Piscotty last 106 games had a 906 OPS and I mean, I, I don't even like to talk about this, but obviously he was dealing with some serious personal issues. Yeah. His mother passed uh, early in the year, and it, it's quite possible that he just was able to unlock his baseball potential after that was over. Well, and it, it's not like he hadn't been good before this. Um, you know, in 2016, he wasn't that far off from what he did last season, and in 2015, it was only a partial season, but he was great. When you look at his career, you know, we were talking about Marcelo Zuna, one thing stands out. With Piscotti, 2017 stands out as the the major outlier here. And even if he doesn't do what he did for the first, what, four months, or last four months, whatever it was, um, I don't think there's that much of a difference between him and the Hanniger-Castellanos class. I think he's a great uh, kind of off-brand version of those guys who could give you 95% of their production. And this group here, I mean, the other players that are going in this range include some closers or potential closers like David Robertson. We don't know that he's going to get saves. Corey Knable, same situation. Uh, pitchers like Jay Happ and Cole Hamels. Some catchers like Wilson Ramos and Yadier Molina. Uh, even Buster Posey. Mike Moustakas. Again, I think the outfielders look like the strong position in this range. We're talking about the 130s and 140s in average draft position. We'll go a little bit farther now, a little deeper into the group. I, yeah. I, I think your commentary throughout this podcast has kind of justified my approach to the outfield. I agree. Better than I've been able to do myself. I but. agree. I, I thought about that. Well, However, I still I still think the elite outfielders are so good that I really yeah. want one of them. But you're right. That's the point. A lot of the best hitters in baseball are outfielders. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think maybe this is a better point for in a three-outfielder league. Your utility should be an outfielder. It's very possible. I mean, I, I tried to make that happen in the draft we did, but I missed out. All right, we got Billy Hamilton, 162nd overall. I mean, I love it. Do we love it? We love it. We love yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's 70 to 80 spots lower uh, at least than what he was getting drafted before last year. And uh, he, yeah, he, he may, can't hit. Maybe he, <laughs> maybe he was just completely exposed, but there wasn't that big of a difference between what he did last year and what he's done prior. Yeah, it, it wasn't was just any worse of a hitter. He just ran less, and that seemed to be a managerial decision. <laughs> uh, obviously, they the, the Reds had a new one last year, Jim Riggleman. Uh, it, Ned Yost is going to send him a lot. So I, I always railed against Billy Hamilton, where he used to get draft for the for the you know the high number of steals. It would be as early as round four in a rotisserie league, and I'd hate it. Talk about how awful it was. I I still don't love him here but it certainly makes a lot more sense here if you don't have steals yet he could single-handedly save you in the category because he's i don't think he's any different than he was two years ago would you guys I, rather have uh, let me uh, sorry Heath. would you rather have malik smith 107th or billy hamilton 162nd malik's yeah i'm more likely to draft hamilton i think i mean malik's is obviously better but I think for the price, I'd rather have Hamilton. I will say I've I've been targeting Hamilton in most of my drafts, drafts, and it seems like now looking at NFBC data, he's only up to 165 over the last month. 
it seems like people are starting to catch on because I'm missing him in that 140-150 range when I start to wait to that point. Okay, other uh, outfielders in this range, Ian Desmond, Nomar Mazzara, Brandon Nimmo, Harrison Bader, Byron Buxton, Kyle Schwarber, Hunter Renfro. It starts to get a little ugly here, although there will be gems that we can find later. But, um, oh, I'm sorry, Ender Inciarte, I'm not sure if I said him. I did earlier. Inciarte, Desmond, Mazzara, Nimmo, Bader, Buxton, Schwarber. That's a pretty big range. It's actually like 50 picks of ADP. Yeah. Anybody that you like? Like Scott likes Nimmo, I think. I, I do like Nimmo. 400 OBP guy at the top of a lineup that, you know, looks like a pretty good lineup, really. The Mets. Yeah, he's, he, you know, it, it took him a while to get a full time role last year. And, uh, he should approach 20 homers. Batting average, you know, he might be one of those guys who's a little better in points leagues than Roto, but he, I think he's, I think he's under, undervalued all, all, all around. I'll I'll give Nomar Mazara some love for the first time yeah. uh, in the history of this podcast because the Rangers did say at the start of spring training that they're working with him on uh, getting his hand-hip separation a little better so he can elevate the ball. Now, this is something I would prefer to have heard he spent all offseason working with, <laughs> um, but there's no question that the, the skill level is extremely high with Nomar Mazara. He's been in the majors since he was 20. Um, was a top five prospect. When he gets a hold of the ball, he tends to hit it a really long way. I think he had a 485 foot home run last season. Um, he just hits the ball on the ground too much. He's been the outfield version of Eric Hosmer. But if he gets that ground ball percentage down to even 50%, it becomes a lot easier to see him hitting 25 to 30 home runs with his natural talent. And being a a really valuable, uh, you know, like a Mitch Hanniger type, okay. if not better. I will just say, going back to Nemo, I do have a little bit of concern with him against as far as playing time with the Mets approach of just stockpiling their team with like 19 players that are kind of good. Um, he was he had a 742 OPS against lefties last year, which isn't very really terrible for a lefty. No, but that was with a 355 BABIP and a 33% strikeout rate. That's concerning. I, yeah, yeah. I feel like he's the only one. Well, I guess Conforto could play center field. But among the bats they'd actually want in their lineup. They got Juan Lagaris. Juan Lagaris. That's that's what scares uh, like me. Like I said, among the bats the <laughs> Mets would actually want in their lineup. Right, but uh, he is a good, great defender. Field. And, yeah. Um, Jeff McNeil is focusing only on the outfield this spring, so it's going to be crowded out there. McNeil I actually yes, Juan Lagares OPS against lefties is pretty close to Brandon Nemo's. Yeah, McNeil actually very good against lefties last year, uh, two eighty one, three thirty nine, four seventy four. So this is not a range of outfielders that we love. Um, with again, but well, there are some, but just in general, Nemo, yeah, Bader, I... Buxton, Schwarber, Renfro, Corey Dickerson, you know. But there are, I think, guys that are going after that that we like more. I mean, Adam Eaton, two hundred twelfth overall, I'll take. A shot on that. We like Jesse Winker. Uh, I'm assuming we'll talk about Austin Meadows, Jake Bowers, uh, Jackie Bradley, Fran Mo Reyes, who Scott mentioned as a sleeper yesterday. Nick Markakis. I don't love Nick Markakis, but he's the 65th outfielder off the board. Um, how about, yeah. How about Ryan Braun is still productive? He's not going to play every day, but in a roto league, he had 20 homers and stole 11 bases last season. He's still a a productive, useful player, especially if you 
you know, play in a daily league. And he's going to change his daily lineup league. Yeah. He's going to change his uh, swing a little bit and try to tinker with that, Ryan Braun. But we are going to save that wrap-up outfield tomorrow. We'll read some of your emails. We'll talk about our draft. And we'll do release pitcher on Friday. Great show today, guys. Scott, Keith, and Chris. I'm Adam. We'll talk to you on Thursday. Fantasy Baseball at CBSI.com. Send us an email.